Well, I don't know when we started Revelation. I guess I could get out the old spreadsheet somewhere back at the beginning of the year, I guess. Um, end of last year. I don't remember. We started John 2018. The Gospel of John. I don't even know that. I should know these things, but I don't. Um, so John's Gospel, John's letters. Put some quarantine and pandemic in there. Back to John's letters and then Revelation. And here we are, chapter 22, the last batch of verses and not just a fitting end to Revelation, a fitting end to a bi- the Bible, really, as a whole, um, which I guess is kind of a silly thing to say. You know. Good job ending your book, God. I mean, <laughs> but it is. It's really, it's a, it's a fitting end. Um, I, if you go back in time, and if any of you have, have been part of, of denominations in your life, or even if you go back in history to the Puritans, uh, the Methodists, the Baptists, um, have have typically typically these denominations or these movements have called themselves by this phrase, "people of people of the book." We are people of the book. Um, when when missionaries first started uh, coming into Africa and spreading across Africa, and started translating the Bible into all the various languages, um, they they were called people of the book. They were they were people who took a book with them everywhere and who put that book in different uh, languages and um, it's very um, it's very fitting that we be called that um, but um, that phrase if anybody here might know who first called Christians people of the book was Muhammad comes out of the Quran. Thank you very much, Muhammad. So, um, and it's actually a bit of a rebuke. Um, it's in there twice, but this is one of the lines from the Quran. It says, if only the people of the book had faith, it would be better for them. So Muhammad looked around and saw Jews and Christians who weren't living like Jews and Christians, and he called them people of the book. And he said, if only they had faith. Um, I'll take his rebuke for what you will, but that's, that's the, the phrase, the, the title he gave uh, Christians and Jews. And um, it's very appropriate if you want to think just to John, I mean, think of the whole Bible, but that when we got to the end of John, he says, um, Jesus said and did a whole lot of things that were not written in this book, but these were written so that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Which is pretty astounding that you could read something that's written. Think about this. You could read something that's written, believe what is written, and, and get connected to God, to Jesus, and, and receive eternal life because of how he has invested truth by his Spirit in something being written in a book. That's pretty amazing. And then when we got to 1 John, and he talks about, well, there were things we saw, there were things we beheld, there were things we, we touched, there were things we heard, he, that, of being 
with Jesus, of walking with Jesus, and, and just we saw, we touched, we were right there. And he says, and we write these things to you so that you may have fellowship with him and we may have fellowship with others. So, so even a, a life of fellowship with God through what was written by someone who had fellowship with him in the flesh. It's, that's really an astounding thought that, that if we truly are people of the book, that in the book... Um, there's fellowship and faith that can, can be had. And if you go back and you study the history of the church, even some of the archaeology of the church, um, some of the earliest artifacts of the church are not necessarily art and crosses. Some of the earliest artifacts of the church are books, scrolls, right? Written stuff, <laughs> right? Um, Scrolls before what we, we call codices, codices, you know, books like this, before you had to do this. And, you know, if you, if you were in a big scroll and you were in Romans, you wanted to get to Ephesians, you had to do this until you got to Ephesians, right? And then somebody said, hey, let's do it like this. And you just went, oh, Ephesians, and that was easy. Now you just go, Ephesians, and it's, or Siri, <laughs> I want to read Ephesians, and it just does it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, but you go back, and that's what you find, that, that the church has always been people with a book. And um, we come to the end of Revelation, and I'm, I'm going to read this text for us. And um, I want us to see that, that that's really what John is encouraging. And I want to especially think about how this might relate again. We always want to go back to the people who would, those churches that would have received Revelation in the beginning, um, and, and just kind of tie it all back to the beginning of the book and, and um, why are we people of the book and is there a bigger reason behind being people of the book. And, and before I read this, I want to I point out a couple of things before I tell you to what to look out for as I'm, I'm reading. Because um, in chapter 1, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's mentioned again in chapter 2. For instance, the, the origin of the book, God and Christ, chapter 1 and chapter 22. The subject of prophecy, coming events, chapter 1, chapter 22. An angel mediating the prophecy. The writer of the prophecy is John. This, this prophecy is genuine, true, and faithful. Um, coming through a prophet, addressed to servants. The destination is the church. There are blessings for hearing, obeying, and keeping. There is a warning for not doing so. It is the revelation of Christ. He is the center of the prophecy. In chapter 1, he is described as the Alpha and Omega, the same in chapter 2. And in both chapter 1 and chapter 2, there is the hope of his return. So really, if you were with us in chapter 1 or you've read chapter 1, you're going to go, oh, some of this sounds very familiar. But, but some, some things as I read this, I want, I want you to listen closely for a couple of words I want you to listen for the word book, and I want you to listen for the word words. Um, and then I want you to listen, and we're going to work through this, if there's a, a higher, deeper reason um, behind being people of the book. Let's we'll start in Revelation 22, starting in verse 6. And he said, now, let me set this up. Um, we missed a week, but we, we had the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, new heaven, new earth. And we had this description of this incredible city built on the foundation of, uh, of you had the 12 tribes listed there and these, this wall with these gates and the, the names of the apostles and all that. And then you had this river of life coming 
out of the throne and through the middle of town. And then this river comes down and wherever the river goes, there is life abundant and growing and the, the nations are, are they're finding healing and there's this fruit and, and um, it's really amazing. And then it says, then we get to see his face and there's no more night. There's no need for lamp or light of sun and um, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And that's kind of like the end of that kind of, or that part of Revelation. And then we get this part of Revelation where it's as if that kind of vision has ended and it's just kind of the angel and John and we're back to kind of how chapter one was. And so listen to what it says here. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy, the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. I think that's the third, second or third time John has been rebuked for bowing to the angel. And the angel says the same thing every time. Stop it. Worship God. Verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous to do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and the let one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I want everyone who hears the prophecy of this book, the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, there you go. We've read Revelation. Um, So it's almost as if the angel and John, Jesus kind of walk outside the city and say, well, let's wrap this up. Let's go back to the beginning, start this over. And did you catch that as, as, as you were reading along? How many times he says book and words over and over and over again? This book, this book, this book. Um, these words, these words, these words. And you can, you can imagine if you had been in one of those churches that we talked about in the beginning, right? And the messenger or whoever it was standing in front of you with that, 
and you're hearing this, this fresh from, the, from John, imagine the, the, the impact that would have made on you if you're this church that is facing intense persecution and every day is the temptation to just bow to Caesar, so to speak, and make life easier for yourself, um, to hear that you're hearing straight from the words of the prophet in a book, in a letter from God. Let me just point out um, some truths about why we're people of the book and then our response to the book and then go back behind that to see are we really people of the book? Are we something more than that? Um, Look in verse 6. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And we've seen this over and over again. Um, he said this at the beginning. He said this all, he, sometimes he says these are, these are faithful and true. And he always says these words are trustworthy and true. These words are faithful and true. And, he, and he's often followed it up with because Jesus is faithful and true. And we're getting this from Jesus. So, so John is just saying this one more time. Um, you, you can trust what I'm saying here. And, um, and he follows that up. And the Lord, the God of the Spirit of the prophets, has sent his angels to show what must soon take place. Um, and then he says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. So once again, John is emphasizing that um, he didn't get this from someone else, that this happened to him, right? So he's like, take this up with me, um, but, but this is firsthand witness but right tucked in there is a truth that you find over in 2 Peter 1.21. Do you, you remember the verse from 2 Peter 1.21 where God describes for us how, how prophecy works? Maybe this verse is for, familiar to you. It says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he describes prophets not as men who made up stuff or not as men who came up with stuff or or not as men who interpreted something that they received before. He described them as men who were carried along by the Spirit. And And the picture there is literally of men who put up a sail and the spirit wind blew their boat so to speak, so that the words they gave were God's words inspired, breathed, blown out by the Spirit. And it's put here in different words. Did you see the words? The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. So John is saying these words are trustworthy and true. This is firsthand account, eyewitness, seen stuff. And I was blown along by the God who is the spirit of the prophets. And so this, you know, if there's ever been a time in church history where people read Revelation and said, well, that's kind of weird. Should we really be including this with the rest of this stuff that's not quite so weird? And, and John is saying, yeah, you really should because I'm, I'm being carried along just like the rest of the prophets in scripture by the God who is the spirit of the prophets. So, if you're looking for just two verses here in Revelation, among many, 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 but just to close out the book, for John encouraging the people he gave the letter to to be people of the book, um, there's some really, really good ones there. And, and, and then he says there's a very proper response. Look, if you look through this text, you find this word twice, once from the mouth of the angel, once from the mouth of Jesus. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words. And then the angel says, um, look, I'm just right there beside the brothers and the prophets, those who keep the words of this book. Um, so it's not just it's not just hear or read or study. It's, it's hold on to, it's obey, it's follow. It's, it's not just listen, but it's put into practice. So there must be something applicable here. There must be something we're to do here. And even the angel says, hey, don't look at me. Turn around and look. I'm right here with the servants looking at God. And, and, and the angel knows that we're all going to be faced with the temptation to worship the messenger, to find our favorite messenger and worship the messenger. And the messenger here is a messenger like we've never seen. And he's like, hey, well, well, don't look at me. Let's just both look at God together. And then he even says, um, don't add to it and don't take away from it. Um, and you go, well, yeah, why would you do that? Revelation is the perfect place to do that. Right? Because, I mean, you come to Revelation, you already have a preconceived idea of how you want this to go, and then you find a verse that doesn't fit how you wanted it to go, and you go, well, okay, well, yeah, okay, we'll just skip that verse and we'll go to the next one. Or... <sighs> Yeah, but maybe it says this, and we'll just kind of add a little bit to this. Well, yeah, yeah, this is probably, yeah, well, then you're right, and you just kind of, you find, kind of add, you're sticking stuff to it. Maybe that wasn't really there, but maybe it sounds like a good idea, right? And, and taking this away, and, right? Nobody, you've never met anybody who would say they're guilty of this, right? Nobody's guilty of this. Just like you've never met anybody that was greedy, right? You've never met anybody who's guilty of adding to or taking away. I mean, I mean, the Mormon knocks, knocks on your door. That's an obvious one. They've got three extra books for crying out loud. But we've got one book. Um, but he knows the temptation we're going to face. Um, I mean, I, I'll just, I'll, let me get real with you here for a minute. I'm, st- I'm thinking, okay, I'm, this is a great opportunity, studying, preaching the book of Revelation. I'm, there's a lot of stuff I'm not sure of. I'm sure when I get to the end of Revelation, I'll be a whole lot more sure about some things. And I'm just as unsure because I was. As a matter of fact, I think I'm less sure about a few things. Like, you know, I thought that I would have this really nice prophecy chart with this timeline, and I go, oh, yeah, that's exactly. And I'm like, man, I'm just not sure about this timeline anymore. So you know what I mean? i just like, this doesn't fit. And it's a temptation, and I just have to let God's word be God's word. But here's the thing. I believe it was Spurgeon who just asked this very simple question. And I, I'll muff this all up. But I believe his question was, how do you glorify a fountain? Or how do you glorify a spring? Which is a, a silly question, it sounds like. How do you glorify a fountain? Well, do you, do you study it? Do you take the water out of the fountain to a scientist and have them analyze the molecular structure of the water? Do you build a shrine to the fountain? Right? Do you, do you, do you put the fountain on plastic cups and sell them as souvenirs? Do you make little fountain snow globes? Do you, how do you glorify the fountain? Will you drink from it? You take a big old drink and you say, that is the best water I've ever had, right? <laughs> and so he says, um, you, you keep the words of the prophecy. You don't just kind of listen to them and study them. You don't just, you know, put them on a shirt or on a coffee mug. Um, and, and so there's that line um, right there in the middle. The spirit and the bride are saying, come. The one here says, come. But then he says, but let the thirsty come. And we saw this last time about the river of life. 
if you're thirsty, come. And if you want to take the water of life without price, then come. Take a drink from the fountain. Don't just listen to somebody talk about the fountain. Don't just study the fountain. Don't just hear about the fountain. Drink from the water. Drink from it and say, that is good. You've got to try this water. It is life-giving water. It's the most refreshing water you've ever had. And there's even a warning here. Right? In verse 14, this whole thing about dogs and sorcerers and like dogs is the, the category. Isn't that interesting that dogs would be like a catch-all category? Like, you know, all dogs go to heaven? <laughs> Apparently some of them don't. Not the ones that are sorcerers and murderers and idolaters and all that. Yeah, I don't, that's just kind of this, this phrase, this terminology they used for a certain type of person. But then even after that, it's like, don't take, if you take away or add two, right? But right in the middle, there's a free drink. And I don't think we should be scared of that. I don't think we should be afraid of a free offer that comes with warnings, right? And I, 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 was, I was showing my daughter this earlier. Back at our last potluck, I took this off a, a box of Dr. Pepper. You can't see it from where you are. But I just have had this on my desk as a reminder. Do not preach the gospel like Dr. Pepper preaches the gospel because Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper does not preach as a false gospel. And I've just had this on my desk to remind me because it says on the Dr. Pepper box, earn a free movie ticket. <laughs> I'll let that sink in for just a moment. Earn a free movie ticket. You work hard, we'll give it to you for free. <laughs> Do you feel like you had to work like that as a kid for your parents? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, you don't earn anything that's free. You just, you just get it, right? So you don't, you don't earn the river of the water of life. You don't earn a drink when you're thirsty. You just, you just come and Jesus gives that. Um, so no, it's not a move. Earned free movie ticket, but let's let's. Why is all this? Why is all this? All this is true because Jesus is true, right? Over and over again. I'm coming soon, but look again. We've we've said this many times, but we have to repeat it as we wrap this up. Verse twelve. I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. So I'm coming, and I'm the judge. Now, if you're a first century Christian hearing that. There's great relief, right? Because you're suffering for what you believe. You're suffering badly for what you believe. You, 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 you've, you're, you're living this with great cost. And there's temptation at every hand to not believe it. And Jesus says, I'm going to take care of this. And then he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, at the beginning and the end. Um. There's no one before me, and there won't be anyone after me. So those people who are persecuting me, they're not first and last. They have a beginning and an end. I don't, Jesus says. Um, you go back to Genesis 1, I'm before that. From everlasting to everlasting, I am God. I'm the beginning and the end. Your, your suffering is light and momentary, according to Paul. Your suffering has a beginning and an end. Jesus does not have a beginning and an end. And then you go down um, to verse 17. No, not 17. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Now, 
That may not mean as much to you, but let me tell you, if you were a Jewish person sitting in a church that received this letter in the first century, and you hear that Jesus is the root and descendant of David, you're going, that's a big deal. (laughs) That's a very big, big deal. Um, Because you realize the promises that God made to David, that there will always be a king on his throne, and that his kingdom will have no end. Um, I, I can't help, I have to read from Isaiah 11 because it's just so beautiful, a picture of the king and his kingdom. Um, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide dispute by what his ear is here, and listen, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So when when a, when a Jewish person in a first century church received this letter and they heard that this Jesus was from the root of David, they would have thought Isaiah, they would have thought prophecy, they would have thought of a kingdom that has no end where lions and lambs and wolves and lambs and children and snakes can all just kind of hang out and chill and be friends together and not worry about somebody getting eaten where poor get their justice, right? This incredible kingdom of shalom. But look at where it comes from. This is so beautiful. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? It's David's dad. Um, What's a stump? A stump is where a tree used to be. Or to put it differently, a a stump is where a tree ain't no more. Right? (laughs) Um, a, A stump doesn't hold forth a lot of hope, does it? A stump is where you used to sit in the shade. A stump is where you used to sit and enjoy the breeze after you mowed the yard. The stump is where you used to sit and have a drink of water or tea or Gatorade after you finished mowing. A stump is where you used to sit and talk with your family in the shade while the breeze blew. I'm saying this because we just cut down like a 150-year-old tree up at the farm and we've sat under that tree whatever many years and it was huge, and um, it's just, it's, there's, not, there's no hope there. There's a stump, right? Um, unless there's a root that still has some life. Because if there's a root that still has some life, then there can possibly be a shoot. And if there's a root and there's a shoot, and that shoot grows, there just might be another tree 
and 150 years from now, somebody else might have to cut another tree down. But in that intervening time, people are sitting in the shade, right? So if, if you're a church, if you're a people that is facing what appears to be a hopeless situation, and you say, oh, but it's the root of Jesse. It's a descendant of David. It's where the tree used to be. Ah, but there's a shoot. There's a shoot. Ah, if God's got a root, and the root is Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and last, oh, then that root's going deep. Then it's not hopeless. It's not just a stump. There's life to be had for here. So nobody or nothing else has the final say. Jesus. Because where there's root, there's hope. Where there's a root, there's hope. And Jesus says, I am the root, the descendant of David. So with Jesus, you never have to say, well, there used to be. With Jesus, you say, there is. So why are we people of the book because we're people of the Savior. I, I remember when John Miller was here um, and you know many of you have met John. He was a missionary in Egypt, he and his wife and they've been in missions forever and they've been in every kind of church uh, talking about missions and he was talking with our elders and um, he said, listen, I've been in churches that were missions churches, right? They loved being missions churches. They loved all the missions they supported and all the places they went. And he says, but can I encourage you not to be a missions church? He said, can I encourage you to be a Jesus church? And then because Jesus did missions, just do missions and do it with joy. But don't do it because you're a missions church. Do it because you're a Jesus church. Um, And then just follow him into missions. Um, And so I want to encourage us to be a people of the book, but to be, a, I mean, Bible is our middle name. We are Creekside Bible Church. It is our, it's our middle name. Um, and I don't think we're going to change our name. The elders have not discussed changing it to Creekside Jesus Church. Um, <laughs> I'm not bringing that up for, for vote, um, but wouldn't it be, I mean, if, if that was just kind of understood, oh, they're a Bible church because they're a Jesus church. And Jesus is the root, and he's still speaking, and he just keeps talking about a book, and a book, and a book, and words, and, a, and, and something written that will change your life. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray. It's school's about to start back. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> I just had to say that with kids in the room. <laughs> I mean, all I can No, there's plenty of kids in here. <laughs> I'm so sorry I said that. It's almost August, and we know what happens in August. Just put your imaginations to work. Um, but then life gets busy and life gets hectic and it's easy to forget that we're people of the book, right? And it's easy to get different habits. Um, I just want us to encourage us, okay, we're going to keep book habits because we want relationship with Jesus' habits. And um, we want to be encouraged the way the first century church was encouraged by this book. So um, there were 
there will probably be a few follow-up messages to Revelation. I have a couple in mind. And then maybe a follow-up message to John. And then we'll see what happens next. Probably, seeing as how we did minor prophets during an entire quarantine, and then we did Revelation, I'm going to guess it's going to be a long time before I preach from any prophecy. I'm just telling you that. It won't be Daniel. It won't be Ezekiel. Um, but we will see. But um, I'd love to pray for us right now. And um, we're going to eat. And so I'm just going to go ahead and ask God to bless the food. I'd kill two birds with one stone. And, um, but let's, let's do that. Will you join me? God, um, what an amazing book. How cool to get to the end of it and see that you're still talking about your book and you're still talking about Jesus and you're still offering a drink of living water. Um, freely, <laughs> freely to thirsty people. <sighs> we come to you and we drink, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you satisfy. As we sang earlier, we've never heard a sweeter voice. It makes our aching hearts rejoice. Our thirsty hearts rejoice at the voice we hear in this book, because it's the voice of Jesus. We are Jesus' people, Lord. And um, as life starts kind of ramping up and being different in the next month, a few weeks, Lord, um, I pray, God, that we would be that, that people who are drinking deeply, who are still coming uh, to you thirsty. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. May that be us daily coming to you and drink because you've given us words. You've given us words. You've given us yourself. Lord, I pray um, that in times of trial, in times of temptation, in times of just we're just tired from having a lot to do, in times when it seems as if every other priority is crashing in on us, um, that we would not forget who quenches our thirst. It's you, Jesus. We're Jesus' people. Thank you for revelation. I pray that you would... uh, Your promise was that we'd be blessed. (laughs) And I thank you, God, for time with my friends in revelation, and I pray that we'd be keepers of it.